This morning's service is titled Rehab. And, uh, you know, I believe we're all being rehabbed or rehabilitated by Jesus Christ and by the word of God. You know, God is wanting his church to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of light, a beacon of love in this very dark world that we live in today. And in order for us to be that beacon of hope, I believe that we have to go through some rehab. You know, Matthew Perry, who was an actor, um, very tragically, a couple weeks ago, maybe three, four weeks ago, uh, passed away. And uh, I was watching an interview with him. If you don't know who he is, he was an actor. He was on the sitcom series called Friends. And uh, he was my favorite on Friends. I don't know. If you ever watched the show, he was kind of the one that held it together, especially in the early seasons when everybody else was just not as good and they hadn't found their stride. And, uh, but I was watching an interview of his, and, and Matthew Perry was an individual who had struggles. He had some addictions, and he himself went through rehab. And as I was watching this interview, he said this statement or this phrase. He said his six favorite words from rehab were love God, clean house, help others. And I I heard that phrase and and it just kind of like, man, that really intrigued me. And I got to thinking what a, what a wonderful motto this would be for the church. And I believe this is what God is doing with his church right now as he's bringing us through this rehab process. Understand when you get born again, you know, some things change and they change radically. You're, you're given a new nature, your old nature, your sinful nature. As the Bible tells us, and I'm sure we'll look at that scripture, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. As he says in the word, he takes that heart of stone out of you. He puts a new heart on the inside of you. And, and the Bible says you become a new creation, something that never existed before. And in that moment you are made righteous. Someone say glory to God. And so, but what we have to understand is even though we're made righteous in that moment, there's still some things that we very much need to work on. That is just the start of the rehab process. That's just the beginning of some things that God's wanting to do in our lives. He's wanting us to grow. Amen. He's wanting us to mature. If you look in Ephesians 4, uh, when Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, he really begins to explain what the ministry gifts are given to the church for. And he says that they are there to equip us and for the maturing of the saints. So that tells me that God's church is supposed to be growing in maturity. Amen. There's some things we're supposed to be working on. So we become this beacon of hope and this beacon of light. So the the world can look at us and say, you know what? I don't know what they have, but I want it. Amen. And we're going to look at these three points today as we go through rehab with God, how to trust in God, how to clean house, and how to help others. Amen. So let's go ahead and get into it. Number one, trust God. Everyone say, trust God. One of my favorite scriptures, my my grandmother wrote this in the front of my Bible that she gave to me when I was just a a little child, a wee lad, as we like to say. (laughs) And so this became very important to me from the very beginning of my journey with God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Friends, we're supposed to trust in God. And I think lots of times we don't trust in God because we're not really submitted to God. This process of trusting God means that you're fully submitted to God. And and really what it means to me is it's me saying, you know what, I'm not going to do things Robert's way, but instead I'm going to do things God's way. 
I have this little experiment that I did at Bob Jones on Friday morning as I was ministering to FCA, and I want to do it with you guys. I, I woke up this morning, and I was like, we should just do that at church. So we're going to see how it goes. If you have your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, you can use your leg. And what I want you to do is I want you to put your hand flat down on a hard service. You can use your leg. You can use the chair next to you, or you can use your Bible. And then all together, this is going to be really strange, take your middle finger and fold it up underneath so it's touching the palm of your hand, or at least face in the palm of your hand. So everyone's hand should look just like this. All right? Once you have it there, I now want you to try, without lifting your hand, I want you to try to lift your ring finger from that surface. You can lift your thumb. You can lift your pointer finger. You can lift your pinky finger. But try and lift your ring finger. Now, there may be some of us in the room that can do that, but I would bet that most of us cannot. And this is a simple experiment to show you you have limits. There are certain things that you can do, and there are certain things that you cannot do. And the problem we have is lots of times we trust in ourselves, and when we trust in ourselves, we're trusting in our limits. We're trusting in our abilities. We're trusting in the things that we can do. <laughs> and guess what? The things you can do have a cap, but the things that God can do, they have no cap. There is no ceiling to his power. He is sovereign. He is the almighty. He is, he is God and God alone. Amen. And so it's so important for us to understand that if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to grow with God, if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be his disciples, if we're going to be the people of God, we must trust in him instead of trusting in self. Really, when we get to point three about helping others, you have to start here with trusting God because you'll never go out of your way at the store to help somebody until you first trust God. You'll never get outside of yourself. And like we talked about at, at the anniversary service, you'll never step out into that waking void that God has called you into. You'll never take that step of faith if you don't trust that God has you. When Laura was ministering, she was talking about how people do this trust fall. The only reason you fall backwards is because you believe in your mind that the people behind you will catch you when you fall. So that trust allows you to do something that you wouldn't normally do. <laughs> There's this video on the internet. It's really funny. I don't know if you've ever seen those trust falls, but when you get up, you usually stand on the stage. People get down there, and then you fall backwards, and they all got behind this individual, and they said, okay, go ahead and fall, and the individual fell forward, and there was no one there to catch him. <laughs> it was really funny, but my point is, <laughs> and for, in order for us to live this life of faith that we've been called to, we must trust in God and not in ourselves. Exodus chapter 13 has become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And every time I preach, I can't get away from it. It comes up. We're going to read verses 17 through 18, and then we're going to jump to verse 21. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people of God, uh, let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though it was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them. 
He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. There's two things I really want us to see as we read these portions of scriptures. Number one is God chose the way for them, and number two is God led them in that way. We have to be sure that we allow God to choose our way. Friends, it's not up to you to determine your course. God has already set that. We have to let God choose the way that we live. We have to let God, oh, come on now, hallelujah. We have to let God choose the route that we're going to go in this life. That is his decision. It is this journey that we do together. It's our discovery, and it's found in him, but we let God choose the way. I got to Alabama by letting God choose my way. I married Rachel by letting God choose my way. Now we allow God to choose the way for us and then after we realize the way he has us to go, even scriptures tell us don't look to the left nor to the right but stay on the path that he has for you. The Bible tells us that the steps of the righteous are what? Ordered by God. The steps of the righteous are what? Ordered by God. So that tells me it's not my decision. It's been ordered by God. He has steps that he's laid out for me, a path, a journey that he wants me to walk on. So I have to let God choose the way for my life. Amen. And I can only do that if I trust him. Trusting in his ways. Not Robert's ways, but his ways. And then after that way has been chosen, God in his goodness does not abandon us or leave us to figure it out by ourselves. But instead, he says, I will guide you and lead you in that way. This is why we have the Holy Spirit. This is why we have the word of God. You know, I share this story about when, uh, you know, I was in the Philippines. I shared it at Mighty Men's uh, a couple months ago when we had it. And, uh, you know, I was really, really nervous about getting married. I don't know if anyone's been nervous about getting married. Uh, there was just something about, you know, marriage is, is just, it's a big deal. And, uh, you know, the world doesn't think it is, but God does. And since, you know, the, the re one reason why, why marriage, God's way, between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, one reason why it's so powerful is because it's one of the truest reflections of God to the world. It's about a husband and a bride coming together, God and his church. And not only is it a reflection of the relationship between the church and God, but it is also a, re a reflection of God's relationship with man. It shows how two are supposed to be compatible together and grow together. And one of the reasons why it's the best reflection of God is because a marriage isn't just two people. It's a husband and a wife and God together. And so it's this one, and so I was really nervous. It's a big deal. It's a reflection of God. It, other than, you know, eternity and fellowship with him, it's a pretty long commitment, you know. And so I was just really nervous about it. And so Pastor Mark and I, we went to the Philippines. We went to Taiwan first. We were in Taipei, Taiwan for a week, and then at, we we're already all the way over there. So he was just like, we're going to go to the Philippines for a week. And I was like, yo, I'm with you, bro. Let's go. And so we went to the Philippines. And when I was in the Philippines, um, there was a rooster outside my window that woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I, I'm not a 4 o'clock in the morning type person. All of you that are, uh, well, glory to God. You know, I know some people, they go to the gym at 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. Y'all need to, that, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but that's not it. <laughs> that's not where it's at. Hallelujah. I mean, so anyways, but, you know, this rooster would wake me up and I couldn't do anything. So I started praying and I began to pray out Rachel's name. And the Lord began to show me that she was supposed to be my wife. 
And so he, he showed me the way. And so I got back, and I didn't waste any time. When God shows you the way, there's no reason to waste any time. I said, you know, she picked me up at the airport, and I said, hey, girl, we're supposed to get together. Let's do this thing. And so we did. But now here's the thing. God showed us the way for the last 18 years of marriage, or how, I don't know how many years it's been. If she was here, I would ask her, and guess what? She doesn't know either because we just don't keep track of that. But over the last 17 years or 18 years of marriage, he's been guiding us in that way. How to treat one another, how to love one another how to serve one another. And so to have this fruitful heaven on earth marriage, we have to trust God. He chose the way for us. We stepped out in faith in that way. And all along, he's been leading us or guiding us in the way. Listen, friends, God wants to lead you and guide you in everything. In your career, in your family, at school. That's why the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the helper. What's he there to help you do? He's there to help you, guide you in the way that God has for you. Amen. And so we have to trust in him. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so we must trust in his ways. We must trust in his thoughts. What are his thoughts? The word of God are his thoughts. Amen. There's no confusion about what God is thinking. He wrote it down for us. Amen. And then he's given the Holy Spirit to us to explain it to us. And so it's not about trusting in my way. It's about trusting in God's way. Proverbs chapter 28 and 26 says, Those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. So this isn't just something I do once, but this is a lifestyle. I trust in God. You know, a, a great example of this in the church is tithing. A lot of people really struggle with tithing. And I think when you boil it down to it, it really comes down, do they trust God? Because if I trust God, then I have no problem giving 10% of the first fruits of my income. Because I trust that he's going to stretch the 90%. I trust that he's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on me that I don't have enough room to take it in. I trust that he's going to meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. And really, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with my financial situation. It has to do with, do I trust God? And when I trust God, amen, everything works out. This is how God is able to work all things for the good of those that love him. Well, friends, those who love him are people who trust him. Right? And so we have to grow in our ability to trust him. Psalms 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart's trust in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my songs I praise him. And so I trust in him, and as I trust in him, he is able to help me. One thing I've learned about myself is I need a lot of help. I need a lot of help. Amen? Well, where does my help come from? It comes from him. How do I receive that help? I trust in him. And when he says, Robert, you need to work on this. Robert, you need to give attention to that. Robert, you need to do this. I trust in him enough to follow the path he's chosen for me and that he's going to lead me in that path. At the beginning of the year, I talked about it. God wanted to straighten some things out in my life, so he called me to a 21-day fast. And, and it was supernaturally easy because God chose the way for me, and then he led me in that way. But when he asked me to do a 21-day fast, friends, I had to trust in him. I like to eat. Thanksgiving, boom, that's my day, hallelujah. 
because I eat all day and I don't feel guilty about it at all. And it starts early, like at nine o'clock in the morning and it goes till nine o'clock at night. We starting with cinnamon rolls, amen. And we end it with turkey, glory to God. And I'm going to the fridge all day long, right? Right after I get done eating, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna eat again. There's no guilt on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and so we just going in, hallelujah, and we're gonna enjoy it, glory to God. But I need some help, and, and my help comes from him. I don't even know how I got off on Thanksgiving. Where'd that come from, Cody? Help me out. <laughs> Glory. Well, anyways, go to Psalms chapter 105, verse 17, 22. We, I'm sure it had a point. I'm sure we were going somewhere. Fasting. Thank you. Someone's taking notes. Hallelujah. Shoo wee So I like to eat. That's how we got there. You're lucky Pete's in the room. You really dropped the ball there, Cody. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so here's the thing, friends. When God asks you to do something, it doesn't always make sense to the natural man. It doesn't always make sense to the carnal mind. Even the Apostle Paul, he talked about this. He said that natural people can't receive spiritual things because it's unknown to them. And so we have to understand God is the only one that all the time, maybe outside of our spouse, that all the time has our best interests at heart. And if you will believe that, then you'll be able to trust him and follow him in the way that he's chosen for you. Psalms 105, verse 17 through 22. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of a nation opened the prison's door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household, and he became ruler over the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he, ple as he pleased and teach the king's advisor. If you go over to Genesis and you read about Joseph and his journey, you can see when the king, when Pharaoh put him in charge, it says that no one was to lift a hand or lift a foot without instructions from Joseph. Friends, that's influence. That's favor, and that's what God's wanting to do for us. But don't you know, in order to get there, Joseph had to trust God. I bet you there's lots of times when Joseph was in that prison cell with that chain around his neck, when his feet were being hit with fetters, when Potiphar's wife was lying about him and things were being said about him that weren't true, that was an attack on his character, when things were not going right, he had to trust in the process of God. This is what mature believers do. When it doesn't make sense, they hold to the dream that God has given them. When it doesn't make sense, they live by faith because that's what the just do. And they say, God, I know you've chosen this path for me. I know you're leading. And God did that with Joseph. He chose the path and then every step of the way, he led them in that path. He gave him dreams, able to interpret dreams. He did everything he needed to do to lead Joseph in the way so he could get to this point where God had for him. He's given you dreams and things to do in this life. And I'm telling you, the way to walk it out is by trusting in God. Friends, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. It doesn't matter what it feels like. It doesn't matter who hurt you and who betrayed you. It doesn't matter how bad it's gotten. If you will trust in God, he'll pull you through every time. We are not promised that we will not go through things. What we're promised is that we'll have the presence of God with us as we journey through the things of this life. That's the promise. So let him choose the way and this is so interesting. My ways are not successful. His ways are. 
So if I want to be successful, I must trust God and do things his way. Number two, we have to clean house. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. That is, separate you from profane and vulgar things. Make you pure and whole and undamaged. Consecrated to him. Set apart, what is that? That's holy for his purpose. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete and be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful and absolutely what? trustworthy is he who is calling you to himself for your salvation. And he will do it. He will fulfill his call by making you holy, guarding you, watching over you, and protecting you as his very own. The church is supposed to be holy. We are called to be separated from this world and this world system. We are called to separate from profane and vulgar things. When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're not only receiving him as Lord and Savior, but we're making a commitment to reject everything that is contrary to him. We're making a decision that we are going to be separated. We are going to be holy. We are going to be set apart. And friends, this is why the church has not been the beacon of light. It's supposed to. There's not enough separation between the church and the world. We've got to separate. We've had so many. I remember teenagers in the youth ministry, and we tell them all the time, bring your friends to church, invite them to church, come to church. And, And we've had so many teenagers tell us over the years, why would I go to church when I see everybody who does go to church and their life looks no different than mine? It's not a great sale to the world if we're inviting them to come worship God, but yet our life looks no different than their life. They will fail to see the benefit in it, and rightly so. The reason why the world hates church is because of the church. We need to do better at representing this God that we serve. And the way we represent him is to be holy. This is a spiritual fruit that doesn't get talked about a lot is holiness. You remember in Revelation, when they're flying around him, what do they say? They say, holy, holy, holy. Notice they don't say faithful, 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 even though he is faithful. Notice they don't say love, 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 even though he is love. Notice they don't say almighty, 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 even though he is the almighty. What do they say over and over and over again? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you want to represent him and represent him well, then you need to have this holy life coming out of you. We need to be separated from the things of this world. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, verse 26, to make her holy. So he's talking about husbands loving your wives and then he segues into talking about the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. 
God is coming back for a glorious church. He's not coming back for a church that looks like the world. And so we have to allow the separation process to work. We have to, how, how do we let God separate us? We allow him to choose the way and then we allow him to lead us in the way and we allow God to wash our lives with the word of God. He chooses what I participate in and what I don't participate in. He chooses what conversations I have and what conversations I don't have. He chooses what I watch on the internet and what I don't watch on the internet. He chooses where I go at the weekends and the weeknights and where I don't go on the weekends and the weeknights. He is the author of my story. And the way I let him write it is by being obedient to the word of God. Amen. And so we have to make sure that we're cleaning our own house with the word of God. James 1, and 25, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Someone say, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks into their face into the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Sometimes we forget who we are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the only way you forget that is if you stop looking at the word. You're not a sinner anymore. You have been saved by grace. And that sinner's nature has been removed from you. You've been given a new nature. You are a new creation. You became something that did not exist before. Christ's very nature lives on the inside of you. This is why we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because I have his nature. Woo, y'all remember that old song, his talent and his ability? <laughs> I got the life of God in me. Anyone? If Mr. Miller was here, I know he'd be singing it right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> but his nature is on the inside of you. And so we can't forget what we look like. We can't forget who we are. We're the church, the children of the Most High God, his beloved. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that God gives, the law of freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So the believer cleans house by obeying the word of God. This is the only way to clean our house. And don't you know that's what the word of God does continually? It corrects us, rebukes us, refines us. Why? Because he's making us holy. Now, I want to encourage you real quick before we move on. Notice it said that God's word is a mirror, not a window. So you're not supposed to look at the word through a window and start looking at other people's lives and saying, this is what's wrong with their life. Ooh, they need to fix this. Oh, oh they need to get, look, look, the word says don't do that. Uh, oh, man, let me just look through the window of God's word at your life and tell you everything you're doing that is wrong. And the church has forgotten that it's a mirror and they're using it as a window. And, and can I just tell you something? I, I, I'm not so concerned about how the world lives. I want to get them saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and make them disciples. But I am concerned with how the church is living. And we're supposed to be holy. 
And I'm supposed to look in this mirror so it can show me the flaws. And it, in this mirror, it can critique me and it can criticize me and it can show me the things that I need to work on become, to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Not a fan, but a follower. And so I stop holding this up and I stop because isn't that what the Word of God even teaches us when we get to point three, helping others? It says that you must first remove this giant two by four from your own eye so you can see clearly enough to help them remove the speck from their eye. Stop using it as a window. You look into this mirror and it shows you what is wrong. And then the Holy Spirit, and this is where we've got to get to, that we cannot be afraid of being corrected. He corrects us because he loves us. And it's not my job to go around with the word, looking at his window, telling everybody what they need to correct in their life. It's my job to look at it and, and, and use it as a mirror and say, oh, ooh, Robert needs to work on that. And as you work on that, it will inspire others to work on themselves. And then it will help you see clear enough to be a help unto them. First Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Now lots of times in ministry and as preachers, we conflate the two of righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is right standing with God. It technically is speaking to your legal position in Christ. He's made you righteous. He's made you right standing. And you cannot become any more righteous than you are in this moment. You're righteous. And notice that God never tells you to be righteous. Why? Because it's your legal position, but he does tell you to be holy. Righteousness is your legal standing, your right position that you have. It's an in Christ reality. It's who you are in Christ Jesus. But holiness is something that you do. Holiness has to do with the way that you live your life. And lots of times we hear people talk about righteousness, right living. Right living is really holiness. And the way you live holy is out of your right standing with God. You're empowered to live a holy life because you are righteous. Right? We couldn't keep the law in our own strength. We could not do it in our own ability. But he made us righteous and he made us right standing and he imparted part of himself into us, the Holy Spirit, so we could live up to the standard of God's law, which is God's word. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And then we're supposed to follow in his steps and we're supposed to live by the law of God. Right? And that also includes the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? Amen. So we're growing in our holiness. And look what it says. So be holy in all you do. Righteousness is, righteousness is not what you do. Righteousness is who you are. Holiness is what you do. Amen. And you can do holiness because you are righteous. In all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Now watch this next part. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You living a holy life allows this world to see him. Over in Romans chapter 2, verse 21, it says, well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourselves? 
You tell others not to steal, but you steal. You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but you commit adultery. You condemn idolatry, but you use stolen, stolen, uh, items stolen from pagan temples. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of the Lord because of you. Well, it's no wonder why the world is mocking God because the church is mocking God. If we want the world to take him serious, well, it starts with the house of God. We've got to take him serious. And God starts with, judgment comes to the church before it goes to the world. Read read the book of Peter. Right? And so we have to go through this suffering first. What is this suffering? The crucifixion of the flesh. I've got to put down my flesh so that I can walk out a holy life so that way the world doesn't make fun of this God I serve. Now listen, there's always going to be mockers and there's always going to be scoffers. There's always going to be people. But if you go read Psalms chapter 1, you know, uh, there's 74, I believe it's 74 Psalms that David wrote and the other Psalms were written by Ezra and other psalmists. But David wrote Psalms chapter 1 and he's talking about, let me not sit in the seat of the scornful. Let me not be, that word scornful, when you study it out, one, one translation of that word means, let me not be an imitation. It's what a scornful person is. They're fake. And David, you know, he lost his kingdom. He was chased out by his own son because of the bad decisions that he made because he didn't live a holy life. And he's here lamenting being a cast out of his own kingdom. And he said, wow, I wouldn't have lost my kingdom if I would have just been the real deal. Instead of playing king, if I would have just been king. See, we're not here to play Christian. I'm not playing a part. This is who I am. I'm I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so when he says, Robert, you need to clean your house. Guess what I do? I start cleaning house. If things get out of order, and that's what he did with me at the start of the year, I got things out of order. I was trusting in my own ability. I was relying on myself. I was having this going on, that going on. And God needed to recenter me. He needed to rehab me. So he said, don't eat anything for 21 days. And in that 21 days, he was able to teach me and lead me and guide me and refocus me and put some things in order. And he's asking all of us to do it. No wonder why the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I want, you to, I want you as temporary residents and foreigners. You know this isn't your home. Right? You're just temporary residents. You're foreigners in this land. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among the unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, your holy living, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Live in, <laughs> I wrote this down last night and I really like this. Living holy is an outward sign of an inward good. Living holy is an outward sign of an inward good. And it allows those who don't know God to see God. Living holy is an outward sign of an inward good. Amen. You got some goodness living on the inside of you. I said, you've got some goodness living on the inside of you. You're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been reconciled. 
You've been redeemed. You've been delivered. He took that heart of stone out of you and he put a heart of flesh on the inside of you. You are his son. You are his daughter. There is some goodness on the inside of you. Holy living brings that goodness out of you. And it allows a world that does not know God to see God. John 15, 7 and 8. If you remain in my words and my words remain in you, ask whatsoever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, my fa- this is to my Father's glory, that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, that you would bear much fruit. Much fruit. What's the fruit we're supposed to bear? Holiness. Be holy as I am holy. John chapter 6, verse 22 says, But now since you have been set free from sin and have become willing slaves to God, you have your, for your benefit resultant in sanctification, being made holy and set apart for God's purpose, and the outcome of this is eternal Life. Living holy is deciding to live by what God sanctions and by what the Lord defines and ordains as holy. Did y'all hear me? Living holy is deciding to live by what the Lord sanctions. What's he sanctioned? What's written right here in his word. What's he approved of? It's right here in his word. And this is how we live holy lives is by living by the word of God. So number one, we're in rehab. How do we go through this rehab process? We trust God. Number two, we clean house. And then number three, after doing those first two, you're now set up to help others. Galatians chapter six, verse one, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. One translation of this says, those who are spiritual restore. Part of our job description is to restore people back to Christ. Part of our job description is to help others. Those who don't know him, we help them to find him. Those who knew him and fell away from him, we help bring them back. This is the job of the church. It started that way and it's gonna end that way. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's trespasses against them. And he's committed unto us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal to the world through you. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The same message that was committed to Paul has been committed to us. It's just like Raquel was talking about when she ministered. The kingdom's been entrusted to you. Now take that kingdom and go out into the world. And I love what she said. They said they may not want your Jesus, but they want what he provides. They want the fruit. They want love. They want joy. They want peace. Amen? And so we've got to let them see that fruit. But it's about taking this same message that was given unto Paul, the same task, the same assignment, and going out into the world and saying, how can I reconcile them back to God? That word reconcile means to restore harmony between two persons, especially God and man. We're called to reconcile people back to Christ. We are his ambassadors in this world. Matthew 5, 16, we all know this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Going back to holiness, your light doesn't shine without holiness. With no holiness, you look just like them. 
without being set apart. That's what makes this book different than all the other books. It's holy. It's not the Bible. Bible means book. It's the word above it that makes it different. It's the holy Bible. It is a set-apart book. It's not like any other book. It's different. Amen? And so it doesn't live within the restrictions and the conformity of this world. It's set apart. It's different. And just like this book is different, you're supposed to be different. And when you live different, it allows this light to shine through you. You become the radiant church because that's what you are, the church. And then we let our good deeds shine out. Revelations chapter 3. And this is where we're at right now as a church about letting our good deeds and being a witness and reaching other people. Revelations chapter 3, 14 and 16. Now these are the words of the amen. Who's the amen? It's him. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, lots of times preachers preach that, that God wants you to be on fire, right? And they segue to Hebrews 12, 29. What this is really talking about is it's about your deeds. This church in Loadica, or Lod, I, I, I always mispronounce the city in which this church resided, but it got its water source from a town that was next to it. And this water source, this town that was next to it was full of these hot springs and it had an abundance of hot water. And they would take pipes and they would run water from those hot springs all the way over to this other town where this church, Loadica or Loadosa, however you say it, Loadosia, nailed it, first try. They would take that water, but by the time the water got from the hot spring to this other town, it was no longer hot, it was lukewarm. And because it was lukewarm, it was not refreshing to those who drank it. God is saying your deeds in your life is supposed to be a cup that is refreshing to this world. Your life is supposed to be a hot drink on a cold day. Your life is supposed to be a cold drink on a hot day. No matter how you shape it, your life is supposed to be refreshing to those that are around you. And how is our life refreshing? Here he's, he's, he's fixing this church and rejecting them and saying, your deeds are not being refreshing, they're just lukewarm. We're supposed to be a refreshing drink to this lost world. Showing them what this loving God looks like. Teaching them who he is and what he's done for them. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This deeds, these deeds that make you a refreshing drink to this world, that's what you were created for. Don't downplay this. You are God's handiwork, his masterpiece. You were created to do these good works so that your life could be refreshing to others. You were created to do these good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created to be a refreshing drink at Walmart. You were created to be a refreshing drink at school. You were created to be a breath of fresh air at your job and in your career. You were created as Thanksgiving comes and we spend time with family. You were created to be a nice hot drink on a cold day to your family. You were created 
for these good works. Created to do the good deeds that God predestined a long time ago for you to do. In closing, remember the steps of this rehab. Trust God, clean house, help others. When we do these simple things, I believe we'll become the radiant church that Jesus died for, and then revival will break out.